Out of love and reverence for God's word, please stand with me as we read together. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Let's pray together. Lord God, your word is a fire of refining. Your word is a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. Your word is a sword which divides. Would you protect us even as you teach us from your word? Would you reveal to us things that we forget, things that are necessary for us that we might stand firm to the end. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Beloved brothers and sisters, in a very real way, you and I are engaged in a very real war. It is comprehensive and universal. Every person who has ever lived on this earth and ever will live on this earth is engaged in this conflict. It is a real conflict with armies and commanders and weapons and armor. This is a war that has that is a hidden war. There is no media coverage of this war. It is one that involves clandestine operations and schemes with the intent of obscuring and cloaking the true war that is at play. It is a war that involves assaults against the communication infrastructure between commanders and and his people, between compatriots in both the giving and receiving of communication in a proper way. It is a war that involves psychological operations of misinformation and lies intended to turn compatriot against compatriot and and soldier against his commander. It is a war that will have no truce. There will be a victor when all is said and done, and many lives will be lost, but those who are standing with the victor at the end will share in the spoils of conquest. And of course, the war that I'm speaking of is the spiritual warfare that takes place between the Lord Jesus Christ and his people versus the devil and the forces of darkness. What we see in this passage is that through our union with Jesus Christ, he has brought us into armed combat against an unseen enemy. And we are in the midst of that fight even now. And yet it's a message of hope, a message of great hope. Because what we see is that our God has equipped us to stand firm in the midst of it. That our victory is sure. But make no mistake, this 
passage is a battle cry. It is a call to arms in a war in which we are already engaged. It is a solemn urging that we would wake from our slumber, wake up, and dress ourselves for battle. And this is a passage that, uh, a point that the Apostle Paul is, finds very important. He says, finally, but that's not finally in the sense of, oh wait, there's one more thing I forgot to say. It's more henceforth, henceforth. Remember, he, with this whole book, the first half of it was, he declared all that God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he followed it up with, well, in, in light of all that God has done, this is how you ought to live. He now concludes this glorious letter with this notion of our true struggle. And so what we'll see is it, kind of three parts. The, our true struggle that is the backdrop of faithful living, faithful perseverance in the midst of this life. Uh, what is at stake in the midst of this fight in which we find ourselves, but then our great hope, our hope of standing firm unto the end. So let's look first at the true nature of the struggle. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The true nature of our struggle in the midst of this life is a spiritual struggle against the forces of darkness. A few things we can see here. It says, first is, there is a person, an individual called the devil. It goes by the name of Satan, which means accuser or adversary. We saw in Revelation he is the ancient serpent dating back to Genesis chapter 3. He's also viewed as the dragon. He is an angel who was created by God but rebelled against God and has now become the chief adversary of God's people. So we see that there is a, the devil. And this devil has schemes. It says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Another good translation for that word would be stratagems. These are intentional, purposeful, thoughtful uh, means of attacking. Attacking God's church, attacking her members. Uh, there's a notion of trickery. And treachery. There's no Geneva Convention at play here. The, the devil is devising any and all ways to uh, bring about the downfall of God's people. He's looking for weaknesses. He's poking and prodding. He's intending to divide and to destroy. And while this seems to be led by the devil, he is the devil's not alone in this attack. He has forces along with him. He says that we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now don't, don't get tripped up by the, the heavenly places. We talked about this before. This doesn't mean God's presence, heaven, as though when we get to heaven we will be dealing with 
these individuals. This is talking about a, a spiritual realm as opposed to the physical realm in which we live, the heavenly places that we do not see. But there's all these different uh, individuals or groups that are talked up, talk about. And it's hard to really know exactly what Paul means by all these things. Some interpreters, or interpreters see kind of a hierarchy of demonic individuals. Um, I think that's a little, I'm, I'm skeptical about that. Other, um, other interpreters see different groupings maybe uh, being a demonic group being over a particular geographical area or a particular sin struggle like pride or gluttony. Um, I, Daniel chapter 10 uh, has a, a reference talking about the archangel Michael fighting against um, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, who it, it seems to be some kind of demonic individual. So perhaps that geographical aspect is there. The, the Ephesians did consider, the, did consider Ephesus as the home of the goddess Artemis, as though she was the goddess over that particular area. So maybe there's that notion in view as though there's these evil spirits that are over a particular area. But it's hard to really know. But the, but the key point that we have to take away from this is that these are not abstract, impersonal forces. These are, um, these are personal, demonic intelligences that are waging war as a part of an army. Okay, so Satan's not alone, but he has these individuals. Um, it's also important for us to see that this war is waged against the church as a whole, but also against us individually as members of the church. Uh, Paul says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. So armor suggests an army. And we are being equipped in the midst of a war to stand firm together as an army. Uh, but at the same time, he says in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, which is the word he uses literally means wrestle, like uh, a wrestling match. And we have some high school wrestlers in our membership. And uh, some commentators are confused why Paul seems to mix his metaphors. Because if you know anything about wrestling, a wrestler would not wear armor. He would wear a wrestling singlet, a, one of those tight things, because you don't want anyone to grab onto anything. But Paul says, put on the armor and we wrestle. I think there's a couple of things at play here. For one thing, um, wrestling was a big part of their athletic culture at the time. And apparently, most soldiers were also expert wrestlers. So for the original hearers, they wouldn't have thought that there was anything out of the ordinary to be talking about a soldier who also wrestles. But it also goes to the nature of our conflict. Wrestling is a one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat, face-to-face, where there's a struggle. Um, 
And so what Paul seems to be suggesting is not only are we in this cosmic war where we are clad with armor, but we are also wrestling hand-to-hand, face-to-face with these demonic intelligences. So if we think about all that, what we have to understand is that the church universal is under attack by the devil and the forces of evil, but also this church is under attack by those same forces. But also, so is your family. And if you are married, so is your marriage. And if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are united to him, you are under attack. You are in the devil's crosshairs. He is devising stratagems against you. And it's important for us to understand this because the stakes are incredibly high. Quite literally, the devil's intent is that we would fall away from the living God. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So students, kids, the devil isn't just trying to make your life irritating or miserable. Scripture makes clear that the devil is a prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, as we just read. So we have to stand firm. We have to keep watch for this, and we need to be uh, dressed appropriately for such an attack. And if we think about that passage in Roman, or Revelation 12, the devil is furious, furious that his time is short. And he's furious with you because if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that you were once in his domain, in the domain of darkness. And Christ has rescued you out of that and put you into his kingdom. And now you are in part of that army that is waging war against the devil and his evil forces. And the devil is furious and will do whatever it takes to cause you to fall away. It is an offensive and it is a defensive battle. The devil is on the prowl to attack and destroy But at the same time, he is looking for ways to make you ineffective in your service to the kingdom, in your um, the war that you wage. And beloved, if this is a universal thing, whether you feel like it or not, whether you feel like you chose to be part of this army, to be part of this this combat, you are drafted into it, regardless of what side you are on. You are part of this conflict. The question is, will you be an effective soldier fighting for your king or will you be a casualty of war? So the stakes are high and yet there is great hope. Great hope. Not a cause for fear, but a cause for great hope because our God has given us armor. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There's great hope 
for two reasons. The first is that this armor truly protects. We have been given armor that truly protects. Uh, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. That's not a that you might be able to stand. That's a so that you have the power to stand. That you have been given this armor so that you can stand. And we are to put on the whole armor of God. Every part of it is necessary. We'll talk about that armor a bit more next week. But the whole armor is necessary to, be, to protect us from these attacks. And it says that it's the whole armor of God. Again, we'll talk more in detail about this next week. But what is beautiful about this is this, this is armor that is, it's not the godly armor. This is armor from God himself. This is God-crafted armor that will protect with the strength and might of God himself. And We'll see next week that this is armor that God himself has worn in the midst of his battles. And if we look real closely, this armor is Christ himself. It's to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, How do we see that? Well, verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Two ways. Strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And as we've talked through the book of Ephesians, Hope you remember one of the great themes that we've seen over and over and over again, which is our union with Christ. And the great shorthand notation for that is in him, in Christ, in the Lord. Now he says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. So we ought to see that, that notion of being, our strength being in our union with Christ. But also, be strong in the strength of his might. Perhaps you remember back in Ephesians chapter 1, we heard that same phrase in verse 19 where Paul said that he, he, he wanted us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That's the power that he's talking about, that we must be strong in. It's, it's a command to be strengthened in these things. But how are we strengthened in these things? Be strong in the strength of the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. This armor, the putting on of this armor, is the means that we are strong in Christ. Strong in the strength of his might. Because the armor itself is the power of Christ himself. And beloved, this is exactly what Paul has said in Ephesians already, but also in other places in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, remember? Put off the deeds of darkness and put on the deeds of righteousness. Put on Christ, he says elsewhere. Galatians 3 says, For all who have been baptized have, been put, have put on Christ. Christ is seen as this glorious dress, which we usually see as a an image of the beauty and purity of Christ himself clothing his people. But here we see it in view of his power. 
Now Christ is shown as armor that protects his people with the strength that raised Christ from the dead, now appropriated for his people. But beloved, don't miss the fact that there is a command for us to put this armor on. And we, we've spent a good amount of time talking in the beginning of Ephesians about how Paul said, this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Has been done, has been secured for us in Jesus Christ. But now the command is, be strong. Or literally, be strengthened. Almost as he's saying, that power is, has been accomplished, but appropriate it. We are called to put on this armor, to, to embrace it. God, we, we cannot take a flippant attitude or a lackadaisical attitude to say, well, you know, I don't really have to do anything because God will protect me. The reality is God protects us through the means that he provides. And the means that he provides is this armor of Christ. And so he would have us clothe ourselves with it that we might be protected. So there's hope because this is armor that truly protects against the schemes of the devil, but there's also great hope because this conflict is not an eternal conflict. He says in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We are in the midst of an evil day. This, this, is a, this is armor that we need to put on for the day-to-day grind in the midst of our lives. But there are also days that are more evil than others, that are more uh, heavily, we, we face those onslaughts more heavily. I think there's reason to believe that the devil and his demons are not omniscient, but they are shrewd and uh, they have significant enough stratagems that they can attack in full force at just the wrong times for us. If you think about the story of Job, in a little over a minute, Job heard that his oxen and donkeys were stolen and the servants that cared for them were killed that his sheep and the servants that cared for them were consumed by the fire of heaven, that his camels were stolen and the servants that cared for them were killed, and that his children were killed as the building in which they were residing um, collapsed on them and they died. That's an evil day. That is an evil day. And while we probably haven't faced anything to that extent, there are days where, or weeks where the hits just keep on coming. One bad bit of news after another, one struggle after another in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, you name it. The devil knows how to attack. And we are in the midst of that evil day. But our hope, beloved, our hope is that it's a day And we have a glorious day, a great and glorious day that it awaits us when this evil day passes and our king returns to 
end this day with fanfare and rejoicing where our king comes to conquer his and our enemies. And he is victorious forever and ever. And we are rescued from all harm and ushered into a place of peace and security and joy for all eternity. And beloved, we're not called to win that victory. We're not called to win that victory. We're called to stand firm. We are in the fight because Christ has already secured the victory through his death and resurrection. And we are called to stand firm. The Lord's victory is sure. It has been accomplished. A day has been set. And we can share in that his spoils if we are clothed with his armor and we stand firm to the end. So as we consider this passage just a, a bit more, just a couple points of application that um, I think it's helpful for us to think through. And um, that's thinking through the schemes of the devil and what scripture teaches us about the devil's schemes. We'll talk more about the armor next week, but let's talk about the schemes and the nature of the conflict just a little bit more. The devil, we, we learn a lot about him from the names that scripture uses. Um, one of those is he is seen as an angel of light or he poses as an angel of light. These schemes, these stratagems that it denotes some kind of trickery or subterfuge. Uh, one commentator said this, and I think this is helpful. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflage trap. So he poses as an angel of light to entice us to his side. Um, scripture also says that he is a liar and a slanderer. The Lord Jesus said that the devil was a liar from the beginning. Even back to Genesis chapter 3, he was lying and he was slandering God's good name. He was using God's word and twisting it for his own purposes. Has God really said that? Well, God's holding out on you. You'll be like him. You'll know good from evil. And he did the same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness as he was tempted. He twisted God's word, tried to use it against him. And beloved, one of those lies that I think um, we tend to fall for is the we doubt the reality of some kind of demonic forces at play at a, in against us. And this uh, this was captured well in the the great C.S. Lewis novel, The Screw Tape Letters. Which, if you haven't read it, uh, it it's a fictional account of two demons. One demon, Screwtape, writing to his nephew, Wormwood, and giving advice about how to be a good demon. And in one particular letter, Screwtape says, um, I, I know that you've been wondered whether we should make ourselves known, but right now the answer is we need to keep ourselves concealed. And he says, really, we have this cruel dilemma because when we hide ourselves, then we can't use direct terrorism or we can't make magicians. But if we, uh, if we make ourselves known, then we can't make materialists and skeptics. Um, so, and then he says, but it should be pretty easy for you to, to make people disbelieve you because demons 
The devils, those are kind of comical features in the modern mind. So if he starts to think about you, just make him think about something in red tights. And since he won't be able to believe believe in something with red tights, he'll just cast the whole idea of a demon out of his mind. But beloved, whether or not you find it easy to accept, this is God's word. And we believe this, this... God's word testifies to many things that we can't see with our eyes. Testifies to a God we cannot see, to a Savior who lived and died and was raised to new life and ascended into heaven that happened 2,000 years ago, a Holy Spirit that gives us insight into the reality of this world. And this is not a joke. This is God pulling back the curtain to show us what is truly going on in the midst of our existence. This is God's truth. Uh, The devil is also called a tempter. We talked about that. And an accuser and a destroyer. He will accuse you of your inadequacies, remind you of your shame, to, to shame you of your past. And his intent is to destroy and to divide. And it's important for us to understand this, that this, this struggle is, as Paul says, not against flesh and blood, but it is through or in the context of our conflicts in the flesh and blood. So context is always important when we read God's word. And many of us have memorized parts of this armor of God independent from the context. But we have to remember where we are in the book of Ephesians. We're in that back half of the book where Paul is talking about how we ought to live as a result of what Christ has done for us. And just consider some of the things that Paul has just told us to do. He's told us to pursue unity, at, um, to be eager to pursue that unity, to not let any corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only that which is useful for building others up, to put aside that anger and bitterness and to be kind and tender-hearted toward one another and to, to give up drunkenness, but to be filled with the Spirit. And that plays itself out in marriage and in the family and in the workplace. And on the heels of that, he says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Your struggle is not ultimately among flesh and blood, but it is in the context of those those earthly conflicts that we see those things. And think about Job. Job, Job in, in, in the struggles, Satan accused Job of not being a godly man, and God let Job be tested. And as a result, Job faced theft and murder, um, there was natural disasters as the great wind came. There was unnatural disasters as a fire from heaven came. His wife tried to incite him to curse God and die. These were issues that happened in the physical plane that were schemes of the devil to cause him to fall away. And it wasn't just Job's wife. Remember Peter tried to say something to Jesus, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And 
Paul told the pastor Timothy, he said, um, patiently endure evil and perhaps God will give repentance to the people who are opposing you and opposing the truth, people that have been ensnared by the devil, escaped the ensnare of the devil and have been captured to do his will. So, the devil can use these physical experiences that we have, even individuals, even you and me, for his purposes. And consider how difficult communication is. All the different aspects, trying to say the right thing, hear the right thing, interpret it the right way, and then how we respond. There's so many things that can go wrong, and all it takes is one break in that communication in order for there to be a disastrous consequence. If you think about our own day and the things that we have experienced just over the past couple years, you can see how these things could be used for the forces of evil to attack God's church, God's people, and even the, the order of our society. We have had a pandemic where we have been told, trust the science, trust the science, and that has been an attack on the regular gathered worship of God's people and even a fear of singing, singing praises to our God, something that God's word commands us to do. Do not neglect the gathering together. Do not neglect to sing God's praises. We have had a pandemic that has sought to destroy community by teaching us to be fearful of one another because we're afraid that we might transmit I might give somebody a virus or I might receive the virus. You've heard it both ways. So we've become fearful to even be around one another. Social media, which was intended to unite friends and family, has turned into something that has been an instigator of division and hatred and violence. We've seen the moral failures of many prominent Christians, which has besmirched the the name of Christ and the honor of the church in the midst of our culture, and just the church as a whole, a lack of faith. This has been going on for years, a lack of faith that this is truly God's word, and a lack of strength to stand on the truth of God's word, and a corruption of the gospel message in the church. And then that's just looking at the church as a whole. Think about it from your own personal standpoint. Some of us have physical or chemical, or hormonal imbalances that have wreaked havoc on our relationships. Or there's our own personal fears, or weaknesses, or shame that has caused us to be ineffective in the midst of our service. Or just laziness and an unwillingness to use the means of grace, the word, the sacraments, prayer, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to mature in him. And then there's just our own temptations. James says that we are tempted not by God, but we are tempted when our our desires become inordinate desires, and then we're lured away by those desires, and it gives birth to sin when it's conceived, or or it's conceived gives sin and then gives birth to death. And so it's these inner issues, these external issues that get used, but those are simply vehicles of attack by the evil one. Beloved, 
we can't miss the fact that that's, uh, our response to that is often to be fearful and to look over our shoulder and to become distrustful of people, distrustful of ourselves, say, woe is me, but that is not the message in God's word. Rather than being distrustful of people and looking over our shoulder, God's word encourages, exhorts us to follow in the path of Christ and to pursue in love. Pursue with the love of Christ in, in the midst of the gospel. Not to fear or worry, but to strap on the armor, the only armor that can protect us. We are called by his strong power to be be his forever and ever. And he gives us, he gives you the strong armor to stand. But without that armor, you will not stand. You will surely fall. We have a merciless and determined foe, but we have a strong champion who has secured for us the victory. So let us be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, putting on the whole armor of God. So when we have done all, we will stand firm. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for letting us know what we are up against, but thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who protects us. You are truly our rock of refuge. You are our strong fortress. We just sang it. We love to sing it. We do trust in your infinite power. And may we say with... David, when we are afraid, we will trust in you and in your power. Would you give us strength to strap on that armor that we might be protected from the schemes of the devil, but more than that, so that we might give you glory and praise and that you might use us for your glorious purposes. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.